you know, when someone has mixed feelings about something, it could be anything, but any situation, especially something that most people have a very strong opinion about, but when, when you yourself have mixed feelings, and it should be obvious from just about every episode on here that I have mixed feelings about a lot of things, but when you do have mixed feelings and, you know, you try to kind of distill them into something, and you just can't quite get there. But when you express that, you know, people can very easily hear that, and if they have a strong opinion, if they don't have mixed feelings, or maybe they don't realize they have mixed feelings, they have a tendency to hear the part of that mixture that you expressed, and hear the worst part of it, or they will, I don't even think there's necessarily a worst part of it, but they will take the part of it that they think they disagree with, and they will hear that as the entire substance of what you're saying. And we all have a tendency to do it, I do it constantly. But they will, you know, take your mixed feelings and then they will think that the part of it that is most disagreeable to them is the substance of what you're saying. So I think when you have mixed feelings, you have to be very careful not to express yourself. But sometimes there's a pressure on that where there's a tendency to think, oh, you know, if you're not saying something, if you're not expressing yourself, that itself can be seen as some sort sort of, you know, negative substance too. That itself can be seen as, you know, something that people just don't like or don't don't agree with simply being silent but then you know other times people will say that about you know you talking out of line you know sometimes people will have a tendency to say oh you know you're talking when you shouldn't be talking it's not your time to talk you know while other times people will say how come you're not talking so really it's a no-win situation sometimes But there are many situations where if you have mixed feelings, maybe it's better just to let it lie. Because there is that pressure to self-express. And I know that more than anybody. Even if it's in my little corner, on my little invisible box, you know, my invisible podium. And it's a beautiful invisible podium. You know, as far as invisible podiums go, it's, it's a really good one, but, uh... Yeah, it's just just one of those things, and I mean, this could apply to any number of things going on right now. There are some obvious things, and there are some less obvious things, but on the whole, there are, I have a lot of mixed feelings right now, and that goes for my own life personally, my own individual life, and it of course goes uh, for the the world around me, and, uh, but you just, sometimes it's a no-win situation to say anything, but also saying nothing doesn't get you anything either, and people can assume the worst if you say nothing. Just one of those little dilemmas, and I love dilemmas. I really do. I see dilemmas as a welcome challenge, and not necessarily a challenge that you need to overcome. Sometimes it's just being able to balance those two dilemmas and not try to find a synthesis. Just recognize that your brain is fully capable and advanced enough to hold on to two dilemmas, two contradictions, you know, to sit on that Zen koan. Because that's what it is. That's what a dilemma is. 
And I think there's a reason why some of those ways of thinking, some of these, if you want to call them belief systems, you can, but there's a reason why that is such a focus in certain belief systems, the idea of meditating on a dilemma. And, and when I say that, I don't actually, when I do my, my own personal sitting down and meditating sessions, I, I very rarely think of these actual things. I rarely think of these dilemmas in those moments, but I would say my day-to-day life, active, walking around, doing things dilemmas are also a form, or rather, my walking around, doing thing, things meditations often do involve these sorts of dilemmas, and that's usually when I bust out the, the cell phone on a walk, like right now, or I plug the recorder, the, the mixer and microphone into my computer. But yeah, sometimes there's just it's a no-win situation for you, and you realize that you don't really lose either. You know, you don't necessarily win, but you don't necessarily lose. You just get through it. And you should look out for yourself. You know, as much as other people's well-being is important, as much as the greater good is important, I do strongly believe in looking out for yourself. Otherwise, I don't, I don't think you can think with a clear enough head to really know if you're doing good. If you're impacting the world in a way that matters, I think a clear head is necessary. And you might ask, like, how do you know when you got a clear head? How do you know? Well, it's a physical sensation for me. You know, it really is. There are times where, you know, my sleep schedule has gotten back on track for the most part. You know, I'm not waking up at 4.30, 5 a.m. like I was for a while. But I was staying up till like 4 and 5 a.m. most of May. And I would wake up and I would just, you know, I was eating late. I was just, even though I felt like my system was overall pretty good, I just didn't feel like my head was entirely clear. And since then, my sleep schedule's adjusted. You know, I'm eating even better and I I just feel clearer. So I think there's a physical sensation that goes along with it. And when you feel that physical sensation of a clear head, well, your thinking is going to be clearer as well. But uh, something that's been on my mind, too, where, you know, I've worn a lot of masks in my life, and I've enjoyed doing that. Like, I like knowing that I can be somebody, I can be somebody else to someone else, depending on the situation, depending on who it is, and not betray anything, and not lie, and not be dishonest. It's just, it's the versatility of the human spirit. And it's proof that our identities aren't everything. The identities that we learn and that we assume during this lifetime, the different ones too. In the same way that you can be a different person around your coworkers, you know, a different person around your family, a different person around your friends. It's that sort of idea where it's just, it's the versatility of the human spirit to be able to do that and to do it without completely betraying one identity versus another. You know, you don't want to be dishonest. You don't want to be a liar. You don't want to have some covert behavior that is like completely destructive and 
and that type of thing. But I mean, just the reality is, is like chemicals react to each other. You're going to act differently depending on the situation, depending on the person or people you're going to be around. I mean, even if you hang out with one person and you typically behave a certain way around them, you and that person can be hanging out. But if you throw a third person in the mix, that can change the way you interact with the, the person that you were originally with. It's just something that happens, you know, it's, it's chemical. And not actually, I mean, it's not actually chemical, maybe it is, but I don't mean to get all scientific about it, but it's, you know, it's similar to the way chemicals interact with each other, except the chemicals are people. But it's nice to know when people are on a similar track and a similar track that's different than you but it's similar enough to where you feel some sense of confirmation and uh, you know a friend of mine published a little book and uh, I finally read through it today it's short it's a collection of essays I don't know how widely available he made it it's fairly personal but it's you know it's bound and everything and it was just nice to see. I won't, I'm not going to really go into detail here, but he's somebody who came from a similar background in terms of underground music, subversive art, but who's also thought about these things for more than just what they are, for more than just the material forms they take. And he's also seen the way that those cultures have changed. And for the worse, too. For the same reasons that... I've had to distance myself from, from those worlds, and I don't even know that those worlds exist anymore, at least not in the same way. When you think about underground culture, uh, I, I, I think that he's had some similar experiences with that, and it shouldn't be a surprise, you know, because I don't see how you, I don't see how you could stay attached to those things in the same way in 2020, opposed to when you got introduced to them however long ago. But, you know, a big difference is that he he sees, he's much more opposed to the digital medium where I think, I think that I'm trying and it might be in vain. I think it is partially in vain, but I'm trying anyway to make use of the digital medium in some way and not to be attached to the digital, digital medium. Because something that I never liked, for example, is when a really talented pen and ink visual artist decided to start doing like digital walk what are those things called like Wacom tablets when you could draw using this digital pen on a tablet and it shows up on the screen I can't remember what those are called I, I want to say Wacom Wacom tablet there's a Wacom County around here uh, there's something like that but there are these digital tablets that have been around for a very long time but there was always something really that really turned me off about you know, hands-on, organic visual artists who decided to start drawing digitally like that. And obviously it has its pros and cons, just like recording digital music does. But there is a, there's something different, you know, and it's obvious. I don't even need to go into why that, why there's at least a difference. Whether you love it or hate, hate that difference, you know, the difference is just very clear. So I'm not someone who's ever embraced that approach, you know. Even though I grew up, you know, as a teenager using Photoshop and I used to do some digital artwork with some digital imaging programs, things like that, 
I never wanted to transfer my visual art, my drawings to the digital medium. Of course, you incorporate them maybe in with a layout or a design, things like that. But the actual drawings themselves, it's always been important for me to use pen and paper. And so in that way, I do reject the, di the digital medium. But I guess where I've tried to use the digital medium is self-expression, just using these new modes of expression and not being completely attached to them. But I also recognize that they, they, they help pave the path that I'm on as far as the real tangible world that I exist in, where I think the episode last night, I talked about how, you know, a lot of my introduction to the idea of releasing music yourself and some of the things that are very real and analog and physical and material in my life over the last 20 years were introduced to me because of, if not because of the internet, they were definitely aided by the internet. I was able to learn a lot more and access a lot more through that. And I think I've always subconsciously tried to balance it. And I'm, I still try to do that. But I am a little bit more open to electronics and the digital medium. And I try to recognize the absurdity of that. But I also have a deep respect for people like my friend who wrote with great insight, great personal experience and insight in a way that nobody else really talks about. Uh, he was able to really, he was able to really flesh out his argument well in this, this little book he made. But I do disagree with it a little bit. Maybe I don't disagree with it, it's just that I do things a little bit differently. And that's what I want. You know, that's what I want from people that I like, is I wanna have, you know, slight disagreements with them. And, you know, speaking of the digital medium and everything, like, I'm just seeing this beautiful sunset right now. So I'm actually going to pause this for a second to take a photo. Okay, split second later and we're back. Split second later and we're back. But, I mean, that's kind of a great example where some people, and, and this doesn't play into the friend that I'm talking about, but some people might have a tendency to be like, well, I shouldn't stop to take a photo with my smartphone camera that that's somehow an inauthentic experience. It's an inauthentic way to experience the world around you. But I think you can experience the world through that. And I think I've mentioned on here before that my own approach to paganism, and I wouldn't call myself a pagan, but you know, my own philosophy when it comes to paganism is that a true pagan will use any tool available to him. You know, any tool available to a, a true pagan in the time in which he lives is something that he can use, that he, he can experience some sort of connection to the world around him with. And I feel that way about smartphones, even though I don't necessarily love the aesthetic of it. I don't think that it's visually that attractive. You know, I don't want to look at a painting of people walking down the street all looking at their cell phones. First, because I just don't think that that's very visually attractive. Second, because it would come across as some kind of anti-smartphone statement if you saw that today. You know, if you saw somebody paint a picture and, and everybody in the picture was looking at their phones, you'd think, oh, this is like saying, this is, just, this is trying to make an anti-phone statement saying everybody's looking at their phones. So 
even though I don't like the visual of that, even though there's a part of me that when I see someone walking down the street, looking at their phone, ignoring the world around them, I think, you know, why don't you look up a little bit? There's still that part of me, though, that also doesn't like the anti-phone sentiment either. But I, I deeply respect somebody who doesn't make these things a part of their life either, who has chosen to keep these things at bay. But I just don't feel like I really have a choice, you know? I, I just, I don't, as someone who did grow up using technology and accessing technology, I just, I don't really feel like I have a choice and that it, it's here to stay. For the same reasons I was reluctant to use the word selfie when I first heard it. I thought it was the dumbest thing you could ever say. And then I waited five years and I was like, well, the word is here to stay. You know, I waited five years, however many years, to get a smartphone after they were introduced. And then by the time that I got one, it was just kind of an acceptance. And I don't think you have to accept it. And I think that might be a point that my friend was making. You know, I, I'm not trying to put words into his mouth. You know, in his, in his little book, he uh, stated himself very well. And I wouldn't want to try to paraphrase him here. But I think one of the points you could take from what he said is that you don't have to accept it. And that you can personally cultivate your own environment and that includes technology that includes the way that you express yourself but i guess there's a part of me that likes the chaos of new technology as as repellent as it is visually a part of me kind of likes that a part of me kind of likes the discomfort of it and i sometimes use it to express myself sincerely but i'll also use it to express myself obnoxiously and, uh, you know, and I've learned that firsthand, you know, semi-recently where, you know, I've been in touch with, with a lot more random peripheral people from the past. Some people not even from my own past, but just people that my mom knew, people like that. And, you know, I, I was talking earlier about the different masks you wear around the different people in your life. And just because they're masks doesn't mean that they are hiding anything. You're just showing a different part of yourself, really. But in recent years, especially, you know, getting sober and just feeling like, I feel like I have less to hide. I feel like I've made some decisions that are overall good and that I shouldn't have to hide who I am. And I'm trying to bring together some of those different masks. <laughs> and I think it, it might be horrifying sometimes. And in fact, I know it is. I know it is, and sometimes when someone who knows you a certain way, they know you, say, as your mother's son, they know you as a coworker, they know you under a certain set of circumstances, they know a certain mask, and because that mask that they know isn't dishonest, it is a part of you, they have a tendency to think, okay, I know this guy, I know what he's all about. And I like him, or I, I'm indifferent to him, but I at least I'm comfortable with, with who he is. And then when you start to bring some of your different masks together, you know, that can be horrifying. Because it's like, oh, this eye is different than that eye. It's a Frankenstein sort of effect. Where it's, it's a sewn together mask, and, you know, I don't know that there's really any escaping that. I don't know that you can really escape those stitches 
And maybe one eye will be bigger than the other eye. Maybe one eye will be... Maybe you'll, you'll just have one a big eye. <laughs> maybe your whole face is just a gigantic eye. I don't know. But I think that's something that, you know, I've kind of experienced lately, specifically. And with the world being in a, a greater state of chaos... Well, I mean, it's, it kind of gets into the mixed feelings thing, really. It goes back, you know, I, it kind of goes back into the whole idea of these mixed feelings where sometimes your mixed feelings can actually be your face itself, the mask itself. You know, in the same way that your feelings can come across mixed and people see the part of those mixed feelings that unsettles them, that stands out to them. The thing that is mixed in whatever you're express, expressing uh causes the most disagreeable part to stand out. I think it's the same thing when you bring some of your different masks together into one and they see the one thing that horrifies them. Maybe most of it's fairly symmetrical and okay, but one of your eyeballs is like hanging out <laughs> and uh, they see that. They're going to notice that. The rest of your face is fine, even though it's, it's patched together from these different masks. They might not be entirely as different as they feel to me at times, but maybe just one of those eyeballs that's sewn in there, maybe that one's just hanging out of the socket a little bit and they, they have a tendency to see that. And what made me think about this, though, is just that I was hanging out with my friend last night and her fam I've been very close to her family and I'm close to her mom, who's a very open-minded, wonderful person. I'm really grateful to know her mom. But she just made a comment that, like, her mom had seen a video I made and, it, and she just was like, that, that was weird. And a part of me is proud of that, but a part of me is also disturbed you know I don't want I, I'm disturbed that somebody else felt disturbed especially because I don't take it all very seriously especially because a lot of it is just messing around just destroying the empty spaces just and and right now I feel like right now I think with the world with with us experiencing something of a paradigm shift I think that I have an even greater urge to I don't know, just point out the absurdity. And not, not by saying, hey, everybody, you ever notice how absurd everything is? Not even by saying that. But just kind of, you know, riffing on something weird. You know, it's kind of what I do on this show. You know, not, not really anything different than I do on this show. But I guess I feel a little more comfortable expressing myself this way. Not playing this character. You know, not doing the character that I'm necessarily in when I do a podcast. But it's just... You know, I feel this greater urge right now to be like, well, you know, the world, the world feels like it's spinning a little differently than it was a few months ago. And so let's just spin a little differently ourselves. And in my case, you know, it's something that I've been doing in certain places in my life more often. You know, it's something that it's not something new to me. It's not like it's not like there's any, I, I don't I really don't feel like there's anything entirely new going on with me personally. I'm just kind of trying to bring it all together in a way. But maybe you shouldn't do that. You know, maybe you shouldn't freak people out. And I never deliberately try to freak people out, but I guess I just try to have a little bit of fun sometimes. And sometimes that's serious. Sometimes fun can be very serious. I think about my dog. I was talking to somebody about my dog and he loves to play, 
He plays a lot. He loves to play tug-of-war, fetch, but especially tug-of-war. But he's very serious about playing. He, he's developed his own sense of rules. You know, he's a, I guess dogs kind of have these rules to the game ingrained within them. But, but he's very serious about the way he plays the game, even though he's having fun, even though his tail is wagging. And I feel like I'm the same way, where like even when I'm being serious and my tail is wagging... Maybe that's why people are bothered. I got a tail. No, but uh, here I am talking about masks. The, the real problem is I got a tail. But, you know, in the same way, though, that I can express myself seriously, but have fun within that. And we have this tendency to... We kind of want things categorized for us, too. I, I think we kind of want different masks. You know, when you when you go to a a lecture on race relations in South Africa, you go with your serious mask on. And the lecturer, he's going to be very serious. And some topics deserve to be solemn. But there are a lot of situations, especially when you're dealing with stuff that is personal, where it doesn't have to be one way or another. And... It, you can joke, you can be irreverent while talking about something that's close to home. You can kind of pull from a bunch of different places, but it kind of reminds me too of, you know, a friend of mine worked at a, a Mexican restaurant and I remember him saying how his co-workers would go out to nightclubs on Friday nights and they would just decide, I mean, they're going to go out to a club and they're going to have fun tonight. These Mexican co-workers of his, they would go out to a nightclub on Friday night to have fun, and they would have fun every time. And I, it blew my mind when he told me that, because I think about like going out to bars with friends or just doing anything, going to parties, and maybe there is something cultural, maybe there just is something, you know, there's something privileged about it. But, you know, in my experience, it's like knowing the people I know, and I've known a lot of different types of people, you're not guaranteed to go out and have fun even when you're going to something that's supposed to be fun. And that's okay. Sometimes you can do something with that. Sometimes you can do something with that boredom or that dread or whatever it is. But it's kind of like the idea of like when someone goes to a comedy club, they go to a comedy club expecting to laugh. And unless something is truly unfunny, they're probably going to laugh. But if someone were to say the exact same things that a comedian said at another event where they weren't told, hey, you're at a comedy club, they might not react the same way. Because it's not just that the performer is wearing a certain mask, the listener is also wearing a certain mask. They're wearing their audience mask. And and so it's just it's not just you and it's not just what you're it's not just what you're presenting, but it's also the person listening to you or the person paying attention to you and it's a, a two-way street of course uh, so what do you do when uh, when you're both wearing these mixed masks what are you doing when you're both wearing masks with an eyeball hanging out well that sounds to me like you found your people and to go back to my friend's book it's called um, wrong side of the mirror by Marco Del Rio, and like I said, I don't. I, I had this idea that it was maybe more available than it is. 
I'm not sure if it's something that has a very limited number or what it is, but, and it's not for everybody, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. It comes from a very specific place, but I, I feel like one of the points he got at near the end, because it delves into, you know, kind of building your own spirituality and cultivating your own spiritual experience in certain ways. A lot of what I like to get into on here, really. And what I like about it, though, is, is in the end, though, he he's kind of talking about this. He's kind of, he doesn't talk about masks or anything like that, although, you know, I think that he's a fan of masks as well. But it kind of gets into that, where it's like you do kind of end up having to piece together a mask made up of these different parts of you and made up of the world around you, for that matter. Because those pieces of your mask are based on the circumstances that you experience and the different people and the different situations that you get into. And I guess the struggle is just trying to harmonize that. Is trying to make those stitches look natural or just accepting that they're going to be there. Accepting that there's going to be an element of Frankenstein to you if you are an individual. And some people are able to pull it off better than others. And I think, in my case, I think it's just, it's just difficult to pull off. Because you can see where some people are truly iconoclastic. They're truly unique. And they manage to be very successful, but also relatable, while still having that sort of freakish mixture of things. But those people are rare. They really are, and they're, even if you don't like what they're doing or you're not a fan, it's special when you see someone like that, but it is pretty rare. And, uh, it's interesting though, like knowing people who were introduced to the occult and some of the, the more esoteric forms of spirituality through underground music and art like I was. Because my experience with that stuff is, you know, occult, the word occult literally means hidden. It's this, it's, it's this hidden, you know, it's hidden knowledge in some way. It's a hidden spiritual knowledge or experience. And, you know, I don't really differentiate between experience and knowledge. It's that sort of Gnosticism. And this book deals with Gnosticism. God, I really hope I'm not just like, first of all, like butchering what my friend says, but I mean, a lot of this is just my own interpretation. And I, and I hope I'm also not just like being like this, I'm just sharing all this contents of a relatively private book. But, um, you know, there is that when, when you were introduced to the occult in a certain way through underground music, there is this emphasis on obscurity. And I think obscurity and what's hidden and what's dark, literally physically dark, as well as, you know, let's just say physically dark, something that's kind of in the shadows that you have to search for and you might not be able to see it. And in that situation, you have this tendency to look for something that you think doesn't exist in the outside world. You have this tendency to be looking for something that you think doesn't exist in broad daylight. But my own experience with the occult and the underground is what I was looking for was around me all the time to begin with. But I had to go into the occult, I had to go into the underground, 
I had to go in some place to some place where I couldn't see things and then come back out with newfound experience, knowledge, however you want to say it, in order to recognize that it was here all along. In order to recognize that some of the more popular spiritual practices had that very thing I was looking for, but not a specific one. And I did have to sort of build my own mask in order to see that. I did have to piece some things together in order to recognize that it was here and it wasn't in one specific place, but it, it is in broad daylight. And I just, I didn't have the tools to recognize it. And I think that experience, it's not entirely dissimilar from the experience of someone who grows up in a household and grows up resenting their parents, even if they love their parents, just kind of resenting the whole being at home thing. You know, I've lived here my whole life. This feels limited. You don't feel entirely appreciative of the, the situation you grew up in. And then you go off. It could be to college. It could be military, which I've never, I've never served. I don't know what that's like. But you could go do something somewhere else. And then you return home and you have this newfound appreciation for it. You know, your mom's cooking tastes that much better. You realize your dad's jokes actually are pretty damn funny. You realize the house is extremely warm and comfortable. You have a new perspective on it. You see the value in it. And I think that you can experience that with the occult, with esoteric subject matter, where you delve into this stuff and everything is sort of hidden and confusing and you don't even really know if you're in a maze or not because it's so dark you just when you run into a wall you don't really know the you don't really know if you're if you're in a maze or a straight hallway you don't even know what direction you're going sometimes but you have some sort of intuitive sense that you're looking for something and you're getting somewhere but that experience gives you the ability to recognize home and see the value in a home and that might be just life itself. You think about people who have near-death experiences and have this newfound insight and appreciation for simply their life. I think all these things are related. Home, life. You know, life is home in a lot of ways. But uh, it's interesting how that happens. And when I, t when I say the underground, you know, there's this tendency to think that when someone says that they're referring like they were, like when I was growing up a lot of the people I knew who never got into underground culture and by that I mean you know certain forms of subversive art and music that had its own subculture that was completely self-contained and that had little to no hope nor desire to become mainstream but there were a lot of people I knew growing up who it, they would make jokes about, oh, is it too underground for you? Because they thought that meant, they, they kind of operated on this idea that everything was just waiting for its opportunity to become mainstream and that things were only underground until they had the opportunity to do other, to do, you know, something else to become more popular. And, and that's true in a lot of cases, for sure. There's a lot of people when they might be dedicated to some sort of you know, underground ethos, 
But the second they're given an opportunity to make money and get attention and have more fans, they're going to take it and good for them. I've never been opposed to somebody taking the opportunity to quote unquote sell out. But a lot of people's ideas of what underground is, is this, is this relative thing where it's only underground in relation to this more well-known mainstream platform. But that's not what I'm talking about at all when I talk about this. I'm talking about this self-contained world that's existed for decades. You know, really, like, pretty soon after rock and roll was a thing, there started to... an underground culture started to develop. But I'm not doing a documentary on that. And I'm not even entirely that interested in that anymore. But it is a part of my background. And I just want to make it clear what I mean when I say that. Interesting stuff, though. I mean, it's... Uh, you know, I, I clearly... This is the kind of stuff I talk uh, to my long-lost relatives about. Who I haven't seen in 20 years. The last time, last time they saw me, I was playing with Legas. Hey, last time I saw you, you were playing with Legas. And now you're talking about how you're wearing a mask of your different identities sewn patchwork together and one of your eyeballs is hanging out and it horrifies me you know no i don't talk about this shit with anybody on the off chance they dig in on the off chance they like google me and do some digging i guess they could listen to this show people have done that before but on one hand you know it's like i do feel like i want to I want people to know what I'm talking about, and I want people to know that I'm sane. But I also have this desire to kind of bring the different parts of me together and do something with that. But how do you do that? How do you do that? Especially without being a narcissistic train wreck. You know, that's, that's sort of the dilemma of it all, and now we're back to dilemmas. So maybe having that dilemma is okay. You know, maybe that's just the road. Maybe the road is just one that's going to be filled with dilemmas. Do I turn here? Or do I turn there? Do I take this right or that right? You know, maybe that's all just part of the experience. But it can be difficult to harmonize everything that makes you what you are. Because what makes you what you are... You know, might be based on different situations. Different experiences. And your spirit, you know, the, the human spirit inside of you might not really, it, it might not really care. It might not, you know, it, the human spirit doesn't depend on any of those. And it will, and, and long after your body is gone, your human spirit very well might continue on. And it will inhabit somebody else's body who's going to go through their own dilemmas that are entirely different from the dilemmas you go through, but are they really different? That's a question for another time. I know that I'm comfortable with the mask that I've made. I just don't want to feel like Leatherface. I don't care if it's pretty. I just, I don't want to feel like I'm Leatherface to everybody I know. Eric, he's such a nice boy. Until he started wearing that mask that made him look like Leatherface, Letterface. Maybe that's it. I'm not Leatherface. I'm Letterface. I'm wearing a mask, a paper mache mask made out of a bunch of handwritten letters. 
and you can barely read them. Yeah, that's, that's what goes on, though. That's what goes on in a, a human mind. You just got to try to make sense with these things that, you know, it's hard enough to try to make sense of these different things out in the world that don't entirely make sense. And then when you realize that you have a lot of different things going inside on inside of you that don't make complete sense either, well, you know, there's a beauty to that. There's a beauty to things not completely making sense. And if, if things outside of you don't make complete sense, and if things don't make sense inside of you either, well, doesn't that start to make some sort of sense? Doesn't that start to harmonize a little bit? Doesn't there, don't those start to parallel each other? I think so. If the world around you doesn't make sense, and you yourself don't make sense... Well, hey, I think a deal can be made between that, between those two things. This land is mine. God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children Free. So take